0: Dear listeners, Sai Ram, and greetings from Prashantin Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind. The discussion is on the Ramkata Raswahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 28th January 2016. Have a listen please.
1: Thay ram dear listeners and welcome to today's afternoon satsang segment which will be dealing with the nectarous story of Lord Sri Rama as penned by our dear Lord, our dear Swami. It is said that the story of Ramayana will hold relevance as long as the mountains exist on earth and as long as the rivers flow on earth. That is the reason why this Holy manuscript, this beautiful text has been in circulation, has been read out, has been narrated, has been expounded upon for several centuries now. It continues to happen on an annual basis at sometimes on a monthly basis and a weekly basis even to this day. The added advantage we have is that we are reading this story in what can be called as an autobiographical account because after all, isn't Sri Rama and Sai Rama one and the same? So, keeping this privilege that we enjoy in mind, thanking our Lord with heart full of gratitude, we shall begin with this as always by prostrating ourselves, offering ourselves humbly at His lotus feet and listening to the beautiful name of Lord Sri Rama.
2: Shri Rama 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 Khe Rama Rama Rame Manurame Sahasranama Tathulyam Rama Rama Rama
3: we listen to that shloka which is so famous and almost every time we begin we start with that and I am sure we have mentioned this before the belief is that to chant this shloka three times is equivalent to chanting the entire Vishnu Sahasranam and that is the potency of this single name Lord Ram and you know Swami would so often repeat in his discourses there is such sweetness in the name itself even as you repeat it and the episode we are going through in uh, or rather we have just come across is Not only the sweetness, the tranquility that this name can give but the enormous amount of power and strength that can be conferred by taking this name and that is what was exhibited by this matchless devotee Hanuman. We came to that point where you know he faces the entire army of of Ravana one after the other contingent after contingent he decimates them one of the sons of Ravana is finished by Hanuman and finally Megduta comes and as a sign of his humility he accepts defeat in the hands of Meghnaata when he uh, bows down in front of the Brahmastra. Brahmastra and finally he is captured he is taken to the court of Ravana and there uh, Hanuman displays his aptitude as a scholar as as a person who's got enormous amount of Mastery over the language. You know, we heard that clip from Swami's discourse mm. where Swami puts it in beautiful poetry. That conversation between the two of them, that was so wonderful. And th- that is the point wherein, where you know, Hanuman though who is so angry against Ravana, he's so upset seeing the plight of Sita. He gives him very good counsel. Tries to tell him that you know, you still have a chance. Come and seek forgiveness from Lord Rama, and you have chances that you can save yourself and your clan. That's what he says.
1: You know, Prem, interestingly, when you started off what you were speaking by saying that chanting this mantra is equivalent to doing the Vishnu Sahasranamam once, means it's like, that was the time actually, you know, I paid attention to the words that are enshrined in this verse. And they're not very difficult Sanskrit words. Shri Rama 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 Rameti. Iti means thus. Shri Rama Rama Ram. So, saying thus Shri Rama Rama Ram. Shri Rama Rama Rameti. Rame Rame Mano Rame That's quite a little bit of a tongue twister. Rame meaning the beautiful name. iti Ramaha Sahasranama Tatulyam Rama Ramanama Varanane Tulyam meaning equal, Sahasranama is the Yes, the Vishnu Sahasranama or the thousand names of the Lord. You know, it just struck me that if at all we do a little soul searching, a little introspection just sit back a little bit and observe and think about there is so much meaning and beauty in life also of course, I might be going on a little bit of a tangent, but I just felt that because when you were explaining the meaning, after that, you know, Prem, honestly speaking, what you were speaking as a summary of last week, I was lost because I was just thinking how on earth did I miss this beautiful meaning that is enshrined in the Shloka. It is so simple, so easy to understand with basic Sanskrit knowledge and yet I had missed it. I just felt that in the same way too, you know, the Ramayana story is something that all of us know through and through possibly. Maybe some of us don't know it, but most of us coming from this culture seem to be aware, at least among Swami's devotees and students, you know, we know the story per se. And yet I feel just like the shloka, we have had such revelations throughout when we are reading the book because things which we took for granted, which are there for us to see, we have missed. And Swami so lovingly has highlighted it, projected it for us so that we can benefit and enjoy I mean, this was a thought that got triggered when you just gave the explanation of that verse, beautiful verse.
3: Absolutely. You know, many times I feel that uh, we live in a society where we are trying to think very openly, which is a good thing. You know, we try to read the scriptures of other communities, other religions, other uh, philosophies and, you know, lines of thought. But it is also very important to read our own scriptures because we don't realize that, you know, the Ramayana could have just been another story. Hmm. What has made it an essential scripture is the faith with which we have read it. And that is why it's so important to go back to our own scriptures because we have the faith. You know, it's a blessing from God that we know that there is some value to the Mahabharata, there is some value to the Ramayana, there is some value to the Puranas which are mentioned in, in our scriptures. So that faith is there. With that faith as the tool, it's very important for us to go into these stories. And because that is what, you know, many, many poets, many, many writers have done through the ages. They've taken the same Ramayana, be it Tulsidas, be it the Kamba Ramayana. They've taken the same Ramayana and they've looked at it from their point of view, all the while trying to give some beautiful messages from the same story. And that comes out of the faith they had that this Ramayana still has relevant messages for us, even for today. And that was the case you know probably 60000 years ago when valmiki wrote it or a few thousand a few hundred years ago when some of the contemporary writers have written it or even today as we read this beautiful work which has been given to us by swami in his own from his own pen you know
1: it's absolutely and when you say it has lessons to hold see the ramayana is also being studied academically right it has been the basis of many a doctorate Many are doctorate degrees. So the Ramayana, when it's read and reread and deeply read, in all variety, it helps you spiritually, it helps you emotionally, it helps you in your day-to-day life. At the same time, you know there are things to be discovered even from a purely academic point of view also. Right. And uh, one among the many such unique gems that Swami has showered on us via the Ramkatha Rasavahini is the advice that Hanuman gives Ravana when he's standing in front of him in the court. Okay. You know very nicely you can make out what a marketing brain Hanuman has if mm-hmm. I can call it so. Hanuman tells Ravana that see Ravana your ambition is that you want to be the ruler of the three worlds. You want everything under your command. You want to be the Emperor Supreme. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. But you know with that goal in mind Why are you taking steps that take you away from this goal? Listen to me, let me advise you. The best way is go and take refuge at the feet of Rama. You know, those feet, the power they will impart on you, the command, the love, the joy, the peace, the prosperity that they can impart on you is beyond compare. So in order to achieve your goal of becoming the most supreme and the most phenomenal emperor of the three worlds, the easiest, the most peaceful, the happiest, the best route is to just go and take refuge at the feet of Ramaya. Because you know what? My Lord, my Master is the Supreme Compassionate One. Just return Mother Sita back to Rama. And trust me, He will forgive you. He won't harbor any ill feelings towards you. He will not have any animosity towards you. Everything will be forgiven. In fact, He will bless you. And when He blesses you, nothing, no force in the universe can stop you from achieving your goal. So why are you having one goal in mind, but taking steps that definitely take you away from that goal. You know, This is how Hanuman markets the correct path to Ravana. And I feel that is so beautiful because when I think of it, even Swami did the same thing to us. He did not tell that, you know, follow this path, do this, you will be rewarded by this or you will be rewarded by that. When I look at my own life, it has almost been like Swami guiding me either by speaking directly or in His own multiple ways. Saying that, look here Arvind, this is your goal in life, right? The same goal, whatever it might be, to become a top person in your studies or to become a great sportsman or to become a yogi, whatever might be your goal, the same goal you can achieve it by following these teachings. It's not as if, like you know, how you fear that you'll by taking Swami's teachings, you are going to become a yogi, you are going to become a renunciant, not like that. To achieve excellence in life in whatever sphere you take up, The best way is to follow the path of Dharma, follow the path of Satya, follow the words that I am giving you. So, that is such a beautiful thing. It actually is a big incentive for all of us because irrespective of what our life goals are, we can achieve them better by surrendering at the feet of our dear Swami rather than trying to trust our own skill, talent and abilities. That is what Swami has taught us. That is what Hanuman also explains to Ravana.
3: And another thing which shows up in this context is Swami would often refer to that verse, Vinashakale Viprita Buddhi. Hmm. If you look at it, it's a clear sign that when you constantly do evil things, you know, when you constantly perform bad karma, you know, how that bad karma comes back to you, it's not necessarily in the form of difficulties or in the form of accidents, in the form of physical harm. I think the most subtlest form that bad karma affects you is by clouding your Buddhi when such a perfect opportunity is there you know you've done the mistake you've performed the bad karma but even then when the opportunity comes in front of you to you know condone for it and to make amends you know your buddhi is so clouded you're not able to make amends S- same case in the mahabharat we see so many times hmm. you know krishna himself comes with the offer he says okay don't even want indraprastha don't even want hastinapura give five villages i'm sure you know even when krishna took those as proposals he knew that It is the law of the nature. You know, you've done something, it has to get back to you. But probably for others who have, you know, for us, when we're looking at it, maybe we are not, you know, we're not comparable to Ravana in the sense of the evil which we've done. We have done little mischief. But when we look at it, we see that, you know, even in such a situation, the Lord is ready to forgive. All that you need to do is to surrender and say that, you know, Swami, I've done this mistake. Please forgive me. Please correct me. And uh, I think that's what happens in the case of Wali, as we saw. You know, even Wali has done a wrong act. His probably his bad karma is catching up. But at that point, all the good that he has done, you know, comes before him and rescues him to make best use of that opportunity. He revels in that opportunity to die at Rama's feet and to think of the Lord and die, not to think of the mistakes he's done or the failures that he has had, or with a feeling of revenge. I think that is when. You know, even when you've done bad karma, the number of good karma that you've done comes to your rescue and gives you that option of capitalizing on that opportunity when it comes.
1: Absolutely, Prem. One point that I wish to highlight in what you said was the fact that when Wali made use of the opportunity, it's not as if his karma didn't hit him. But just that his act of surrender at the feet of the Lord made even that apparently cruel blow by karma into a greatest blessing. A blessing that very few people got to get an assurance from the Lord that there are no more birth for you, you are liberated because that's what happens when you are struck by Lord Rama's arrows. So, in that sense, it is not as if you know it's like some escaping route that do all the rubbish that you want and then just sit and tell Swami I am sorry, please forgive me. If the repentance is sincere, the karma will come but as Swami would say when you have pain, when the doctor gives you a morphine injection, It is not as if the pain is not there. But you are protected from that pain. You are given the resources that are necessary to go through that pain. So the pain will naturally be there. Pain is destiny. Suffering is a choice. That's what it is said. So when there is surrender, the suffering part goes away. The pain might possibly be there, but the suffering part goes away. And therefore, when it is said that uh, we uh, surrender to the Lord, then the Lord will take care. He is ready to shower us with His love. It is not as if it's a blank check that you do all the rubbish you want, you come back and you are karma free. It only means that the way that karma could have had its impact on you, that impact will be nullified because you will totally be absorbed in the name of the Lord, in the form of the Lord, in the umbrella of grace of the Lord. Because what happens next is, Ravana is so enraged, we spoke about this last week also, he wants to put an end to Hanuman's life. And Vibhishnan and others say that this is not the right thing to do to an emissary. And that is when they decide to maim Hanuman because of which they want to set his tail on fire. Now, come to see of it. I don't know what is Hanuman's karma or whatever, but see, the devotee of the Lord, the emissary of the Lord still had to get insulted in public court. It is one thing that Hanuman didn't take it as an insult, but he was. He was provoked, he was made fun of, sticks were thrown at him, stones were thrown at him and his tail was set on fire. But, Nothing happened to Hanuman, that is the grace of the Lord. And though nothing apparently happened to Ravana, I mean, his limbs were not cut, he was not, nothing happened. Yet, Ravana, as we shall see later, ends up feeling, after Hanuman has left, as though his whole body has been chopped to pieces. That is the kind of feeling he is left with. See, that is what happens when there is surrender versus when there is no surrender.
3: Completely off the thing. I was the other day seeing the news, mm-hmm. which you know it's, it's a very common thing in our uh, in the political sphere of our country. You mm-hmm. have this effigy burning, mm-hmm. which happens almost all the time, and for all uh, issues, and you know that's like a standard way of expression of your anger or disappointment. Mm-hmm. So they showed these uh, group of politicians, I think somewhere in Tamil Nadu or Kerala, they were trying to burn an effigy, and uh, in the process, that person's dhoti caught fire. <laughs> And what was what was supposed to be a very solemn protest became such a comical one. Everybody around were laughing (laughs) at it and, and if you look at it, it's such a as you said, disgraceful thing to happen for a monkey. And I mean, as the conversation happens here, they say that the monkey takes a lot of pride in the tail. Mm -hmm. And in the discourse we heard last time, Swami beautifully puts it "No, all for the bumps and jumps. The monkey uses the tail. So let's catch the tail and put it on fire. But today, when we see the image of Hanuman flying probably or, you know, in the post with his tail set on fire, we see it as a symbol of courage. We see it as a symbol of achievement. You know, what was supposed to be mockery is a symbol of insult. Now we see it as a symbol of adoration. Right, you know, when we say Parakram, we say, wow, Hanuman did that, you know, what a great personality. I think that is what, when you are on the side of the Lord happens to you. You know, even an insult can become a praise and can be worship worthy, not just to be praised, but, you know, you even down the years, you have been worshipped for that.
1: Somewhere, as you were speaking, you said when Swami says, that triggered of, you know, just to complete the previous thought on surrendering after having made a mistake. I don't remember whether it was a Guru Purnima or a Shivratri discourse. In one of those discourses, Swami clearly said, if you have made a fault, Mm -hmm. don't pray to the Lord for forgiveness. No need. Just surrender to the Lord. And you know, Swami was saying that you should be brave enough to face whatever the punishment is. And if we look at Swami's life, there are many such incidents. The most famous one that comes to mind is that of Kalpagiri. You know, Kalpagiri having murdered his wife, tries to run away, become a renunciant. But when he comes to Swami finally, the first thing that Swami says is, go and surrender to the police. And he says, Swami, they are going to put a noose around my neck. So, it is almost as if Swami assures him that, yes, you can't escape the reaction to your bad karma. But at the same time, remember that there is a reaction to your good karma as well. That will also come. So... In that discourse, I just thought we should reiterate that because Swami says, don't get scared of the consequences of your action. If you feel it is wrong, repent and surrender to the Lord. But clearly, I remember, Swami said in the discourse, don't pray to the Lord to forgive you and wipe out the... Don't. Don't do that at all. Be ready to face up whatever the Lord gives. You just surrender to the Lord.
3: Actually, what happens is, I think, one of the earliest satsans we had was on karma. Mm. Where we spoke of that concept, which Swami often refers to as agami karma. Hmm. right in the process of getting rid of the karma that you've accumulated hmm. what we often call as prarabdha i think right prarabdha is the karma which you get to finish in a lifetime
1: yeah from the sanchita karma right
3: and in the process of nullifying that prarabdha karma you're constantly doing agami karma
1: generating and, new right, karma and
3: that is what happens to most of us you know like let's say that somebody comes and cheats me i'm not saying you no know, sit silently and get cheated but if to counter that You know uh, malpractice. You also indulge in something like that. Let's say that I am justified in cheating him because he cheated me. I think that is when the problem comes. You know, it, it just keeps spiraling and a snowball
1: effect happens. And I think both are simply building on the karmas.
3: Right. Probably even at that time to say that no, you know, I will stick to the path which I am supposed to. I will be moral. That is the best way. And you know, as somebody said, there are many ways of getting rid of your karma, and the lowest is to sit and accept it and finish it. And imagine we are at a level which is lower than that. We are not even ready to finish it off that way. We are constantly doing something in return and adding to it. And uh, I think that there's a beautiful story with which Swami says, you know, there is the Shiva and Parvati are sitting in Kailasha and they're looking down and they see this devotee of the Lord you know, mm. who is coming from a temple and he has a small bundle with him in which there's money. And some thugs, you know, stop him and they want to rob him of it. So Mother Parvati looks at Lord Shiva and says, hey, why don't you go and help him? You know, he's a devotee. Mm. He's coming back from your temple. I think you should go and help him. Okay. So it seems Lord Shiva is ready to go down where he sees that this person starts beating up all the other <laughs> robbers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then Lord Shiva sits down and says, he, he's taking care of himself. Right. I think at one hand, of course, we do have to do what we have to do. Nobody is telling, you know, to release yourself from any responsibility. But at the same time, why this concept of do your best and leave the rest to God, I think you can do it simultaneously. You know, at the point where you're giving it, offering it to Swami, even continue to do what you're supposed to do.
1: That's a beautiful message. And we go back to the story where Hanuman is now, you know, he's bound by the Brahmastra ropes. Though Swami doesn't write this in the Ramkatara Rasavani, I remember reading it somewhere else that uh, Ravana does the foolish mistake of. <laughs> untying Hanuman and tying him up with specially made ropes from the kingdom. Okay. Okay, so it is said that that was a fatal mistake because Hanuman could have been tied only via the ropes of the Brahmastra. That too because Hanuman respects the Brahmastra. So this was a fatal flaw in uh, Ravana's plan. See, and also that shows a kind of an ego, you know, because where you feel that you have got superior ropes compared to the Brahmastra. So, Hanuman is tied, and then they start wrapping his tail in cloth dipped in oil to set it on fire. That is when Hanuman starts growing his tail long and long and long, and how much our cloth is brought, how many our barrels of oil are brought, they don't seem to be sufficient to you know wrap up his entire tail. It goes on and on after beyond a point when Ravana says that that's enough, you know it's sufficient i It's almost like Ravana doesn't care to see 100% of the tail on fire. Just set that tail on fire. That's what I want to see. It's almost like that. So, on Ravana's command, multiple soldiers come and set it on fire because it's a long tail and there is cloth wrapped all around, so they set it on fire. The moment they set it on fire, Swami writes that Hanuman takes his tiny form. Not the tail, only his body part. He becomes tiny because of which all the ropes that are binding him fall away. And then quickly he assumes his huge form you know, Sukshma Rupadhari and Vikata Rupadhari happens in a moment's notice and then takes his huge form and just leaps off. Leaps off and goes on to the buildings on to the terraces of the buildings in Lanka and then starts hopping from building to building, building to building, touching everything with his tail. Whichever part of the city his tail touches is now on fire and reading that we realize the dream that Trijata had seen a few days back and had narrated to Sita. That I see a monkey destroying the entire Lanka by setting it on fire. That dream has come true as a nightmare to haunt the people of Lanka.
3: Right. And that is what happens as Hanuman jumps from building to building. But at the same time, Swami speaks about you know the noble quality of Mandodari. She realizes that nothing is happening to the palace where she is living in. Hmm. And as uh, Swami would often you know describe that later. It was because of her nobility and she was one of the Pativratas in the Ramayana. Mandodari and that itself protects her nothing happens to her mansion and of course nothing happens to Vibhishna's mansion because of the Rama Kavacha or the name of Rama which he is constantly repeating becomes a shield for his uh, mansion so Mandodari you know that noble woman she is she starts opening her doors for all the public who would like to come and take shelter and even as this you know, pandemonium is going on everybody realizes that you know this is all the result of Ravana's stupid act of mm. bringing Mother Sita here
1: And they start cursing Ravana for that. In fact, you know, the noble quality of Mandodari, I felt it so amazing. As I was reading this, I felt on one hand you have Ravana who is trying to send more and more hordes of uh, soldiers to attack Hanuman. Mandodari being the queen, of course, has some soldiers under her command. It's amazing to see that, you know, Mandodari realized that you can't fight Hanuman because Hanuman, is it's the Lord's will that is happening. So instead what she does, she sends out soldiers to tend to those who have suffered from this conflagration that is going on. So all the Rakshasas and Rakshasis who are getting burnt, they are being tended to and nursed by the soldiers that Mandodri is sending out. I felt that was such a beautiful thing to do. Why send soldiers to their death instead send them to save lives? That is one thought that comes to mind. And uh, the other thing that strongly comes out of this is, answer to a very commonly asked question. Mm. That is Swami tells us to be good but what is the use? You know everyone around me is wicked, everyone around me cheats, everyone around me is corrupt. Basically wherever in our workplace it might be or possibly in our friend circle we see everyone else doing what we consider as bad or not right and it's not as if always everyone is suffering. Many seem to be getting away with it also. So we wonder What is the use of me alone being good? If I want to change the world, they say change with yourself. What is the use if I alone change because everyone else is bad? I feel the scenario at Lanka is a very, very strong reminder of what happens because Mandodri is noble, her nobility protects her. Vibhishna is noble, his nobility protects him. Swami says, Dharma, in the Dharma when he says, Dharma is like a lamp that you hold in a cluttered dark room. The entire room is dark. But the lamp in your hand will ensure that you do not trip and fall or kick any other obstacle. The others might kick and fall. But your lamp of goodness and your lamp of dharma will protect you. That is exactly what we see happening here. Because Mandodari is protected. Vibhishna is protected. In fact, Kumbhakarna's wife, she comes running and surrenders to Hanuman and therefore indirectly to Rama also. She says that, please, my husband is sleeping. You know, in warfare also they say it is wrong to kill a person who is sleeping, a person who is under the influence of alcohol, woman. There are different conditions. So, she surrenders thus. Even Kumbhakarna's mansion is spared. So, this is what happens. This is what goes to prove that your dharma, your goodness or your surrender is enough. Irrespective of what others are doing, you continue to do this. And even if the world is going down in flames your world will be safe and secure
3: even as you're saying that why should we be good when everybody is uh, not following the the rules of goodness it's more like goodness has almost like two laps to it probably Hmm. the one lap is where you don't harm anybody else you decide that my actions my words my deeds should not cause any kind of harm to others but the second lap which most of us forget is you know when you go into selflessness it's not stopping with, I will not harm anybody else, but even going to the idea of selflessness. I think in one discourse, Swami beautifully says, you know, describes human nature in, I think, four categories. He says, one is, swartam. I mm. do it for my sake. That's where the evil tendency comes. You know, I don't care about you. I do it for myself. The second category of people, Swami says, swartha Right? For both. I want to be good, but I don't want to harm you. You know, I want you also to be happy. I, I want myself also to be happy. Then Swami says the third category is Parartham. Right? You know, those who are uh, philanthropic in nature, those who are very sacrificing in nature, they just want you to be happy. You know, they would even cause, you know, you will go through a state of self-abnegation. I don't need, but you know, if I can give it to you, I will be happy. Swami says even that is not the ultimate. Hmm. Then Swami says there is the fourth one which is called Nishwartam. Well, there is no... Nishwartam. De- right, Nishvartam. Hmm. Swami says there is no desire at all for me or for you. Swami says that only a devotee reaches that state because he knows that you know whatever God does is good. For me or for anybody else.
1: Putting it in a modern context, it's almost like the first situation is win lose, I win, you lose. Right. The second situation is win win. I win you win. The third situation is you win, I lose. I lose. That is also a kind of a you know, just like Swami says boasting is ego. At the same time, self-condemnation is also ego right. Both, you know, both is ego In the same way, win-lose or lose-win Seems like the same Win-win And finally, when we come to Niswartham It's almost like win There is no question of Duality or other no, because Nobody
3: has to lose to for the other one to win ah,
1: And it's almost like There's nothing like a no, but There's nothing like an other, someone, other also That's what happens in selflessness whether you benefit or I benefit, I am happy because I feel I am only benefiting irrespective of who benefits. So I feel it is win-lose, win-win, lose-win, and just win. Right. There is no two duality exactly. there. You
3: know, that is when the absolute goodness comes. When you're not being good because, you know, being good is useful to me or being good makes me feel nice or being good is helping somebody else. Hmm. I mean, when you say that you're supposed to be good, that's all. <laughs> and when any of us reach that state, I don't think we'll ever ask this question that The people around me are not good and so and so is not good. And I think this is also a perfect scenario in the Ramayana where he says, you know, probably all the citizens of Lanka would be indulging in the wrong act saying that, you know, after all we are under Ravana's rule. Hmm. You know, just like how you benefit from Ravana's rule, when Ravana's mistake gets him this curse of rage of Rama, you also suffer under it. And that's why Swami would often say that you know you are not a weakling even if you stand alone you're not a weakling. Never say that I had no option. I could not help it but do this. That itself is a sign that you're you're not standing by dharma.
1: Beautiful. I'm reminded of that uh, famous uh, carol I think on Christmas they sing. Better watch out. Better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to <laughs> town. In that the final line is so be good for goodness' sake. I mean yeah. don't be good because Santa will get you gifts don't be good for just be good for goodness sake that is what it says even there that be selfless and good so dear listeners I think uh, we are well past the one third mark of our uh, satsang we will take a little break here and after the break we will continue with the story where Hanuman is literally going berserk and lighting up Lanka in a manner that Ravana never imagined
2: Bajranga Jay Jay Sahi Marudi Bajranga
3: Welcome back dear listeners, we are in that point in the Ramayana where Hanuman is broken loose from the ropes that kept him bound and he is setting fire to the entire Lanka, jumping from building to building and we spoke of how the mansion of Manudri has been spared, that of Vibhishana has been spared and kumbhakarna's too is spared because Kumbakarna's wife pleads with Hanuman that my husband is asleep. And we all know that boon which Kumbhakarna has, he he can sleep for six months at a stretch, right? That's the thing.
1: Not he can, he will. He will, isn't (laughs) (laughs) it? Okay. And he'll get up only to have food and then sleep. You know, that again is a case of Vinashakale Viparita Buddhi. Just since it has come up. Maybe it will come up later when Kumbhakarna comes in battle. But it is said that the three brothers, they did penance to seek boons from Lord Brahma. And... uh, everyone feared kumbhakarna who is the most powerful among the three brothers and also who is the hugest in size and so everyone went and prayed to goddess saraswati mm-hmm. saying that you know you have to do something because if kumbhakarna gets the boon that he is seeking he becomes invincible so you know when you look at all this it you feel that things are already destined to happen and because of your karmas you have already shaped your destiny why in every other case when they go to Vishnu, why in this case they go to Goddess Saraswati? Saraswati is the Vak Devi. She is the Goddess of speech, Goddess of learning. It is said that when Kumbhakarna is asking his boon, mm-hmm. Saraswati just deserts Kumbhakarna. You know, it's almost like saying that Vinashakale Viprita Buddhi. Viprita Buddhi means your discrimination is ruined. Here it's like your knowledge, your wisdom is deserting you. And because mm-hmm. Goddess Saraswati deserts Kumbhakarna, Kumbhakarna prays for this funny boon saying that make me mighty but at the same time give me the boon that I will sleep for six months at a stretch and I will wake up only to eat food. I think there is some play of words right? Do you know that in I, Sanskrit? No I am not aware.
3: Right? Instead of something he says Nidra.
1: You know what, when we get to the Kumbhakarna (laughs) episode, that gives us things, time and uh, also reason to research. That's that's
3: how Mother Saraswati comes into play, that she changes one syllable or some parable, right? And
1: changes the whole uh, meaning.
3: Right. So that's the thing, here is Kumbhakarna. In fact, Kumbhakarna too is comparatively more noble than Ravana, I think. You know, we would see that in some of the versions of Ramayana, where he comes and advises Ravana against his foolishness. But maybe that was also the reason. Otherwise, it will be like when the problem comes, sleep over it and <laughs> you can escape. You know, it can't be just as simple as that.
1: Exactly. Yes, there is nobility also. And you know, speaking of the fire, everybody else in Lanka, they are getting scorched. They run out and they start praying for rain because that seems to be like the only solace. But there is no comfort in the horizon. There are no clouds that are forming, nothing. At that point in time, Swami mentions Malyavanta. Right. Who is one among the...
3: So I think uh, according to the glossary here, he is also the grandfather of Ravana.
1: Ah, okay. That's interesting. And
3: one of the ministers, one of the key ministers in the
1: oh, court. Okay, That's interesting. And he says that it's no use praying for rain because even rain cannot put out this fire. Because this fire is the fire of Sita's agony, Sita's sorrow. Can you put out Sita's sorrow by a shower of rain? No, it's only Rama who can put out that fire of agony that is burning in her heart. And therefore, indirectly Malayavanta says that only Rama, only Rama is capable of putting out this fire, no rain, no water, nothing, no force in this universe other than Rama can put out this blazing fire so unless we surrender to rama we have to be consigned to the flames
3: right and seeing all these citizens running around and being uh, scorched by this fire even the fire starts engulfing the ashokvana of course it doesn't uh, consume the ashokvana but it stops around but that is enough for her mother sita to look up at the sky and see that it's completely covered with this black smoke, smoke. black smoke which is rising and you know she even she could feel the warmth and as a mother you know she immediately thinks of hanuman who is actually the one who is carrying the fire around. Mm. And she immediately prays to the fire god that you know he should give comfort to Hanuman. The heat should not affect Hanuman himself. And immediately, wherever Hanuman is, he finds that the heat around him is reduced and he feels comfort and cool.
1: The beautiful point that struck me when you were mentioning this is when you said Sita feels the warmth of the flame. I feel that's what happens. If you have surrendered to the Lord, what seems like unbearable heat and fire for those who haven't surrendered becomes like the comforting warmth for those who have surrendered. This conflagration becomes like more like a fireplace, cackling fire for Mother Sita and yes she prays for Hanuman and Hanuman feels this coolness. That is the point in time when he remembers Mother Sita again and he promptly lands back at Mother Sita and she's safe of course. So he tells her that he prays to the mother to give him something as proof of having made the connect. It's like Hanuman was like the courier delivery. You know, here they take a receipt that we have to sign that we have received. So he tells Sita to sign off on the receipt of Lord Rama's grace and message. And as a token of her reverence and her love for her Lord, Mother Sita takes what we call as the Chudamani. You know, it's very interesting. She could have pulled out any other ornament or any other jewel and given. But she gives the Chuda money literally translates into the crest jewel. Crest jewel symbolically also means the one that is of the highest value. That is why you do not wear it anywhere else on your body but on the top of your head. It's almost like you are worshipping it, you know. Because you keep it above your head. And I feel it is very, very symbolic and metaphorical when Sita offers that. To be offered to Lord Sri Rama, it's almost—it's not almost. It is definitely her way of saying that I surrender totally at the lotus feet of the Lord, and she hands over that Chudamani, money. I'm sure, you know, I have not seen it directly, but have seen videos and photos of it. How beautiful it is when Swami materialized this Chudamani money several times okay, in Kodekanal. I,
3: I should add, I was fortunate to see it once. Oh wow! Okay. Because I think my first year, huh? that was the summer in which Swami had materialized it in Kodekanal, '99. Okay. So, in one of the three sessions, suddenly Swami asked a VIP. Mm. You know, that's the beauty and that's the childishness of Swami. You know, Swami was graphically narrating to this devotee saying that, you know what, I materialized Chudamani and showed it to the boys <laughs> <laughs> in Kodakalaka. Okay. It was all excitement and probably Swami, you know, noticed a sense of disappointment on this devotee's face. Immediately Swami said, you want to see? Mm. And immediately Swami got up from the jula and with big circles of his hand materialized this wonderful uh, you know gem which is I think it is not the entire Chudamani but that main gem which was there on the Chudamani which was uh, huge okay. I think size of a
1: golf ball you remember the color of that right it was a little pinkish it was like a big diamond but slightly pinkish hmm. the size of a golf ball wow. so yeah. that was right. the gem set on the
3: on the Chudamani
1: actual uh, head a right. uh, crest jewel wow fantastic and yeah.
3: yeah, nice Swami came around showing it hmm. and uh, apparently when Swami went to the inner room of Not the circular room. There Swami looked at somebody and said, You want it? And Swami said, Catch. And when Swami threw it, it just disappeared.
1: Oh, in thin air. Oh, okay. Wow. That's a very nice recollection to have. At this point, you know, one more uh, little anecdote that Swami narrates. I think we are narrating it a bit late, but since it came to mind, thought as well narrate it. Is when. Hanuman actually gives the ring, Rama's ring to Mother Sita. Mm -hmm. Mother Sita blesses Hanuman because she is filled with joy. She says, Hanuman, today you have brought to me the Mangalakara Varatam. Mangalakara meaning auspicious and Vartam meaning news. News. And uh, Swami in his discourse says that Sita tells Hanuman that since you have brought this Mangalakara Vartam on this day, henceforth this day of the week shall be known as Mangalavaram. Mangalavaram or Tuesday. You know, uh, we often hear that Tuesday is not such an auspicious day, but when we listen to this, we realize that the name itself means auspicious day, Mangalavaram, and it is derived from Mangalakara Varatam, which means good news. It's a auspicious day bringing auspicious news, and one can't help but admire and feel gratitude to Swami as to how just association with him makes something that is generally considered as inauspicious into something that is auspicious, beautiful and filling us with joy. That only God is capable of doing.
3: Very true. And the other thing which strikes me, especially in this episode of Hanuman going around, setting Lanka in a blaze. You know, here is Hanuman who has entered Lanka. He has not taken any arms from outside. He has not taken anything to harm the citizens of uh, Lanka from him. You know, it has not come from outside the kingdom. Hmm. You know, here is Ravana. It is his evilness, his wickedness, which is in the form of that lighting of Hanuman's tale. And Hanuman has done nothing. He's just taken the same flame which is from the court of Lanka and just spread it around. Almost to say that, you know, you are not going to be destroyed by somebody from outside. It is your own wickedness which is going to finish you off. Symbol of that event which is going to
1: happen. That's a really very interesting observation. Fantastic. Because after doing that, Hanuman comes to the shore, seashore, he is ready to take off. It is over here that, you know, as Swami writes in the Ramkatha Samhaini, He reveals that when Mother Sita is giving the Chudamani, she tells Hanuman that, Hanuman, the three days have passed like three moments for me, because these were days filled with me listening to the glories of Rama from you. That is where we realize that, Oh my God, Hanuman has been in Lanka for three days. This burning happens at the end of three days. I feel that is why it also justifies Hanuman you know, plucking fruits. Who will not get hungry after three days? <laughs> so, three days pass with Hanuman narrating the glory and story of Rama and Lakshmana to Mother Sita. Again, it, it's an indicator to show how time passes when we are listening to the glory of the Lord. Time seems to just fly away when we are absorbed in contemplation of the Lord. And after three days there, Hanuman takes a mighty leap And once again, in just a single leap, he crosses from the shores of Lanka and reaches back to the shores in Aryavarta or Bharat of those times. Bharat of these times also lands there where he is received by all the other monkeys and bears led by Angada and Jambavan who are anxious, wondering what has happened to Hanuman. He has left three days back. He has still not come. They have not had food or drink for three days because they are anxiously waiting for Hanuman. And they rejoice, seeing him coming from the skies.
3: Right. And after that, this entire army of monkeys with Hanuman and all these other, Angada and the other uh, probably major generals or generals in the army, they go back to Sugriva to, you know, share the news of them having found Mother Sita. And here, beautifully, Swami writes that they don't go straight to Sugriva. There is Mm. a a garden of sorts in the kingdom of uh, Sugriva, which is called Madhuvan. And these monkeys... You know, there's a rampage over that garden. They go into it and they ravage all the trees. And one of the guards of those, of that garden comes running to Sugriva and says that, you know, these monkey hordes are suddenly, you know, destroying, taking, the, royal destroying the royal garden there. But the moment Sugriva listens to this news, he says, don't worry, it's just a good news which has come. Because there was a dealing between Sugriva and this hordes of the uh, The monkey army Hmm. where he says that the day you get me the good news of having found Mother Sita, I will allow you to have you go at this Madhuvan. So the moment he knows that these monkeys have gone into the Madhuvan uh, garden, he realizes that that's what would have happened. One of them would have contacted Mother Sita and the good news is coming and they are passing on the news to me in this manner
1: and uh, one more nice point here Prem is that uh, I heard one of our brothers I think possibly Sai Giridhar from the institute mentioning this and aside it is but very interesting he said did you observe that when Hanuman had to go to Lanka he had to meet with multiple obstacles you know we had the discussion on that Satvik, Rajasik and Tamasik obstacles and then there is Lankini at the gate and all things so many difficulties along the way but when Hanuman was returning from Lanka that's all. We don't see any description there. We always see as Hanuman jumped and returned. That's all. It's <laughs> over in a sentence. In all Ramayana, including the Ramkatha Rasavahini, And mentioning that, he said that that is the difference when your dad sends you on an errand versus your mom sends you on the errand. <laughs> you know, the mother <laughs> packs for your journey, does everything so perfectly that your journey goes off in a trice. Nothing. You don't encounter any difficulty on the way. But if your father is sending, you know, fathers are fathers. They do, they love you also. But, but you know, they are not perfect in their packing. Yeah, and
3: more <laughs> hitchhikers than travelers. <laughs> I,
1: I remember because you know when I got admitted in the school at Shri Shailam in Kerala, mm-hmm. when I had to go there, Kerala is a rainy place, is a wet place. So they had written there that you must get kind of a, a rubber sheet to cover yourself slash raincoat or a raincoat, or an umbrella, you know. And uh, when I had to go there, my mother is the one who did the packing. And guess what? When I opened my bag, I didn't find a a rubber sheet, or a raincoat, or an umbrella. I found a rubber sheet, and a raincoat, and an umbrella, you know. (laughs) That is the (laughs) kind of packing mother does. And I really empathized with brother Giridhar, and laughed out aloud when he said this, because I really feel that is it. And you know, as you yourself said, Even when Hanuman is jumping around there with his tail on fire, Mother Sita's thoughts are with, let him be cool, She's praying. That is the love of a mother. I had once asked my mother also that, Mom, how did you feel when I was an infant? Or how do you feel when I am setting out on something that you are... You can't stop me. When I want to go, when I ask that I want to learn riding the bicycle, when I want to drive my first bike, you will naturally have trepidation. So how does it feel? She says, Arvind, just imagine your heart. Imagine your heart comes out and is walking around how you will be you know because you feel it's such a tender organ it's so tender the kind of fear that you have the kind of concern that you have that is how i feel when i see my child walking around so when a mother a worldly mother an earthly mother feels like that we can just imagine you know how blessed are we to have received the love of a million mothers a thousand mothers as we say of swami it is almost a cliche you know Prem. we just say swami is the love of a thousand mothers as swami would say You are not able to appreciate the love of your own one mother. How will you be able to understand also what it means a thousand mother's love or a million mother's love? I really feel yes Swami we never understand but we definitely are able to experience it and every time when that experience and awareness comes together Swami we have just been reduced to tears of gratitude because what else can we give you?
3: I think we have taken a beautiful diversion and probably it is a wonderful time to take a short break here We'll listen to a song And on the other side of the song, we're going to come to that part where the past few weeks we've been speaking about Hanuman's meeting with Mother Sita. And how it's been long overdue for Hanuman to come back and meet Lord Rama. And that is the beautiful scene we're going to be describing after this short break.
1: Welcome back dear listeners, that beautiful song is something that all of us could imbibe in our lives because in that song the singer says that I do not know the gates of heaven O Rama but I know you, that's enough, you are the Vedas, you are everything you know it goes on like that but You
3: are the boat, you are the light in the moments of darkness
1: Yes, goes on to praise Rama as the everything Beautiful, the key line is that I do not know the gates of heaven, but I know you, Rama, and that's enough. I feel that all of us too would have a similar prayer to Swami. think that Swami, we don't know what is heaven, we don't know whether heaven exists, we don't know how it is, but Swami, we have got to know your lotus feet, and that is heaven enough for us. I am reminded of you know poet's name, he's a saint also he says uh, Krishna. It means, O Krishna, let my mind be the hamsa, be the swan, because hamsa is supposed to be having the ability to separate milk from water. So it stands for discrimination. It's able to separate the good from the bad. So he compares his mind to a swan and he says, Let this swan be trapped in the cage of your lotus feet. (laughs) <laughs> and then he says in the next line, prayana samaye hi vidav kutaste. He says, and Lord, let this happen immediately. Because at the time of departure, meaning when I'm dying, when my body is giving up because it is filled with kapha, vata and pitta, you know, the three vital airs that is often considered. Kapha is phlegm, vata is air and uh, pitta is bile. Bile. Mm. So when the body has been overwhelmed with all this, when the throat has given up, at such point in time, where will I have the time, energy or whatever to take your name, O Krishna? So therefore, no need to wait. Let now itself, my mind be trapped in the cage of your lotus feet. Uh, That is the kind of sentiment that is expressed in the song that we heard just now. And I feel it would be wonderful if we too can imbibe that sentiment because it's evident that Swami wanted us to imbibe that sentiment as He began His mission with that song Manasa Bhajare Guru Charanam That song also means the same thing Oh mind, focus on the feet of the Lord So that's our prayer to you Swami that let our mind forever be on your lotus feet We know no other heaven but having known this we don't need to know any other heaven too
3: Right. In in this point where Hanuman has come back, two ways of looking at it, probably looking at it from our point of view, you would suggest that Hanuman will be filled with jubilation because he has accomplished a task which Rama has given. You know, he's purpose, done it. Right. From my point of view, at least if I see, the, probably that's the feeling you can relate to, that feeling of, yes, Swami, I've done it. You and he's one in a million. Right, na? One in a million and uh, fulfillment of completing a task which was assigned by God himself putting ourselves in that place. You know, Swami had given us a job and we've finished it, we come back and with a lot of fulfillment tell Swami, Swami, we've done it. But the joy which Hanuman expresses is not of that. That is what differentiates any other devotee from this Bhakti Shiromani, as he is called, the best among all devotees. Because the joy which he expresses is completely different. The joy of being able to Be an instrument of the Lord. That is the joy Hanuman is expressing. Not the joy of accomplishment, not the joy of victory, but the joy of Lord, you chose me. You could have done it yourself, but you gave me the opportunity to, you know, be used as an instrument. That is the joy of fulfillment which Hanuman expresses here. Because the the, uh, monkey army and Jambavan they go to Sugriva, they give him the news that, you know, this is what has happened. Hanuman has accomplished the task. Sugriva says, let's not waste any time. Let's immediately rush to Rama because we've delayed enough.
1: As Hanuman meets Rama, the first thing that Hanuman does is he goes and tells Rama that he saw Mother Sita and he even hands over the Chudamani that Mother Sita had given him. And Rama takes the Chudamani almost reverentially. He fondles it, keeps it close to his heart. It's so beautiful there we saw the pining of Mother Sita towards Rama and here we see the pining of Rama towards Sita. This is an inseparable bond, the bond between the Jivatma and Paramatma, the bond between the Lord and the devotee. And that is what happens and Rama eagerly asks Hanuman for more news. More news because it is so sensitive and sweet on Hanuman's part that he does not start off with, you know what, I had to start off, I had to jump and first this Mount Mainaka came. You know, he could have started off with uh, the story in the chronological order, that's what any one of us would do if we are asked what happened, we start. But it is so beautiful that Hanuman is first conveying the news that possibly Rama is eagerly waiting for. And then he stops with that much because he allows Rama to express himself. And then when Rama asks, you know, what happened, tell me more, that is when I think Hanuman starts even narrating what happened.
3: It, this particular episode of you know uh, Hanuman coming back and telling Rama that uh, he has accomplished the task is very mm. beautifully it's immortalized in the words of in Ramayana. Mm. that's what I said that when you look at a scripture like this with devotion, with faith mm. even if you are going to give it your own twist, you know you will do it in such a way that it brings out the values of the characters in in the story. And Hmm. brings out a lesson through the story itself. Because we all know Kambaramayanam is an inspired work. It's not necessarily even similar to Valmiki's. Where Valmiki is of course an author who writes it. But he's been given the boon of being able to see what is going through each of the characters' minds.
1: He gets live telecast not only of the happenings but also of people's minds. People's
3: thoughts. But Hmm. Kambaramayanam is more of, here is a poet who is so inspired by this epic and he wants to write it in his own words. And in beautiful poetry. There is that verse with apologies. I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> it's in Tamil, right? It's in, it's in Tamil, that. but definitely won't risk trying to quote it verbatim. Mm-hmm. But you know, the first word which he says in that poem, the way Kamba writes it, it says, "I have seen." The meaning of that first word, "kandan," that's what he starts that verse with. He says, "I have seen," and the commentators of this Kamba Ramanam say. You know how beautiful it is. Here is Rama who's so eager to know the news about Mother Sita. Mm. So Hanuman comes and, you know, in one word, in the first word of that dialogue, he gives the information which Rama is waiting for. I have seen. (laughs) Okay. He doesn't even say Sita was there, I saw her. Or I went to Lanka, I saw Sita there. Nothing. I have seen. Okay. The Mm. first information has been given. Mm. And the second thing he says is, I have seen. That woman of unmatched chastity, right? And you know, in the second word or the second phrase, he conveys that you know, no amount of you know being right in the kingdom of Ravana could touch her. She is still that same pure self. That's how the verse goes: Who is worthy of being the daughter-in-law of Dashratha? Who is worthy of being the daughter of Janaka? And then in the second line, he says, in Lanka, you know, in, uh, imprisoned by that evil Ravana.
1: It's almost like Prem, the connect between Hanuman. And his Lord is so strong that even before the Lord can open his mouth and ask, Hanuman is answering because possibly the sequence of questions in Rama's mind. As soon as he saw Hanuman is, did you find Sita? Because that's what they are suffered upon. And even before Rama can vocalize it, Hanuman says, I have seen her. And then the next question that automatically comes is, how is she? You know, because you've seen her, but is she mutilated? Is she been injured? How is she? And Hanuman answers saying that woman of supreme chastity, you know, it's, she is as she was, as you had left her, in the same condition she is. And possibly after hearing this, you know, if we put ourselves in the shoes of Rama, yes. the next yes. question comes is Han. okay now, so where is she then? He says in Lanka. So it is so beautiful and that is one more thing we should learn from See, Hanuman. Interestingly,
3: when I was just trying to look up for this particular verse, I came across one manager who is taking this example, hmm. you know, of this verse. And he says, this is how emails have to be written, official emails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, when you write an official email, the first line or probably the subject matter of the email should convey the important crux of that message which you are trying to deliver.
1: So that even if a person doesn't read the mail, knows. Right, which he is knows.
3: the most common thing, I guess. <laughs> so he says, you know, that is how you communicate effectively. In the first line or the first few lines of your communication, you are supposed to convey the most important material that you want to convey. And he said that is the essence of an effective communicator. And that's why, you know, many times in Valmiki Ramayana or even Swami would say that Hanuman is not only a devotee, he's not only a person of immense courage, but a scholar.
1: And a thorough professional. Right.
3: Hmm. And at every time he's like doing it the perfect way it has to be done. Anything has to be done.
1: In fact, as I said, after Rama then holds the Chudamani and then asks Hanuman, Hanuman, how is Sita? You, you know, what is she doing? And tell me oh, what is her plight? That is when Hanuman actually starts. Now again, once again, it is so beautiful because if I put myself in Hanuman's place, I just can't imagine, means you know, Swami sends me on a job and I face tremendous obstacles and I come out of it unscathed. It's not that I'm egoistic. I know that it only is only Swami's grace that I came out of it. But I feel if, when Swami asked me, the first thing I'll tell is, Swami, by your grace, you know, it was so <laughs> difficult. But Swami, your grace just made me flow through it. You know, possibly that is the thing that... I would have told Swami when I was putting myself in the place of a messenger, but it's so beautiful because Hanuman never even mentions to Rama about the three obstacles or anything that he met. He never tells. He directly goes and he starts the next most important thing for him, which is Mother Sita. He says, Swami, Rama, Lord, Mother is in great distress. She pines for you. She craves for you. Please go to her rescue soon. Because you know, he even doesn't tell, you know, again, you see that Hanuman doesn't say, Lord, you know, I tried actually telling her. I told her I'll get you. She didn't. <laughs> when you say such things, because these are things that come to my mind. It comes to my mind because that ego is there. I am not actually a humble devotee. So I actually feel like projecting all the efforts that I have put in and possibly get a pat on my back saying, Bangaru, Dunna puta, good boy or something like that from Swami, from my Swami. So I'll tell Swami, I tried this, Swami, this happened, but it could not. Or Hanuman does nothing of that never speaks of the efforts that he has put in. Because unlike most of us who surrender to the Lord in our words, Hanuman has truly surrendered. He truly is convinced that whatever he has done, nothing he has done, it's all Rama who is doing. And when Rama is the one who is doing, what is the need to tell him that? And therefore, he conveys only the prayers of Mother Sita to Rama when asked about The entire, you know, trip or visit. He never speaks about himself.
3: Even as he is saying this, the first conveys that I've seen, Mother Sita, she is in immense pain. And in Lanka, imprisoned by Ravana, you have to go and give her relief from this immense grief that she has been put through. The first one to react is, as expected, Lakshmana. Lakshmana immediately gets up and, you know, he picks up his bow and says, what are we waiting for? Let's go immediately. (laughs) Let's not waste any more time. And Swami beautifully writes that even at that time, Rama is not unfazed by the whole thing you know he calms down lakshmana he says this is not how we have to uh, react we'll have to plan let's see what is the thing in any moment you know don't take any decision or don't you know set upon any uh, task in the heat of the moment in driven by the circumstances we have to look at it calmly and we have to decide what to do
1: that's a very very sane and very profound advice if we can just put that much into our lives, I think our lives will be much more peaceful and also problems will get solved faster. You know, again I am reminded of what we had said early in, during the Ramkata Satsang that Lakshmana is also called as ashutosha He is also called Ashukopa. One who gets angered easily, one who gets calmed also easily. And we see this. It happens even in the Ramkatha Sarayani. Within one paragraph, you have seen <laughs> Lakshmana exploding and Lakshmana being calmed and he is back to normal. So that's what happens here also. And after that, Rama asks Hanuman as to, you know, how did you set Lanka ablaze? This is amazing. This is so beautiful because when Rama knows that Hanuman has set Lanka ablaze, does he not know how he did it? I remember mean, of an incident when we were all planning for the Independence Day drama and this was the first ever Independence Day drama that was staged in the physical presence of Swami. I think it was on the 15th of August, 2004. Mm -hmm. So, when we were planning for this drama, we got the opportunity, a few of us, to go to the interview room because the warden came and told us that Swami wants to know the details of the drama. And even as we entered the interview room, Swami, you know, started saying, "Ah, are you the grandson who wants to run away? And, you know, we wondered, oh, how did Swami know the plot? Then Swami says, yeah, and Subhashan Bose is there, and this is there, this person, he's narrating things from the plot, you know, here and there. A sampling, like how, <laughs> you know, he just narrating a sampling here and there and saying this happened, then that happens. Then Bhagat thing is there, right? Why did you not put uh, Lal Bal Pal? You know, so many things and we are just stunned. Huh? And then Swami comes sweetly and says, no, no, but why actually does he want to go to America? What happens? And the minute Swami has that, we pounce on Swami and we started explaining. Swami, because you know, this is there, because that is there you know that's why I say the Maya is so sweet because of the Maya we forget his divinity and we are able to interact at a human level but the one who is revealing all the crucial points in the drama doesn't he not know the rationale and logic behind the story of the drama but the Lord gives the chance for interaction and that is what I think happens here also because Rama is asking Hanuman how did you set Lanka ablaze where he clearly shows that I know that you set Lanka ablaze but tell me how did you do it And Hanuman's reply is simply awesome.
3: You know, the beauty of, as we said, you know, the humility with which Hanuman gives his answers. He says, Lord, you know, you know us very well. We are, after all, monkeys. And we don't do anything but jump from one tree tree to the other. That's what we are best at and that's what we only do. Can you imagine a monkey jumping from one shore of one land to the other shore across the ocean? Mm. Is it ever even possible? And then Hanuman says, you know, so innocently, he says, I am sure it is the magic of that ring which you gave me, Hmm. you know, to give Sita to show that this is sent by Lord Rama. Because I was carrying that ring with me, I think I could do that task of jumping across the ocean. And not only that, every obstacle which came my way was dealt with because of that power of the ring which I had with me. And then he says, Rama, I did not set Lanka on fire. It was definitely not my prowess. It was that agony which Sita is going through, you know, that pain which Mother Sita is in, that is what set Lanka on fire. Probably you sent me there as a messenger to carry that fire around, but that fire was not my fire, it was the fire of her agony.
1: So Hanuman takes zero credit and gives the complete credit to the Lord. And we have noticed this with Swami also, you know, when you realize the truth that He is a doer, Swami comes and gives you the complete credit for having done that. Swami praises you and we have seen this happening even in public. You know, Swami in a public discourse will praise someone and say that. So, it's almost like, you know, if you seek publicity and praise and if you seek something, it is not true because actually you are not, you are just an instrument. You don't get it. When you truly surrender, it automatically the Lord himself showers. And today, all surrender in spite of Hanuman saying a hundred times that it is not, you know, it's not me. Baba, it's not me, it is only Rama, it's not Rama. Still, Hanuman is a god. We worship him and pray to him and, you know, sing his glories. Sing his glories as much as we sing Rama's glories. So, that is the kind of humility of Hanuman. But, Hanuman keeps reiterating the point that, you know, Lord, it is time that we go and rescue Mother Sita. Not we, you rescue Mother Sita. It's an opportunity that we accompany you. And when he makes his plea again and again, Lakshmana also joins in at this point. He says, Rama, you know, my sister-in-law, I can't stand the thought of she being there and all that Hanuman has described as to how Ravana is threatening and all this Hanuman has described in the course of the conversation. So I am not able to bear it. Rama says, yes, we will make the necessary arrangements and preparations. I was just thinking, imagine, it is Rama's wife, you know. Won't Rama feel the same things? What Hanuman and Lakshmana are feeling. This is the kind of mistake we also do, you know. When I read Swami's Ramkata, I feel every statement actually we can pull it to our own lives and get a message from it. You know, when we say, Swami, she's suffering, Papam, please cure her. Swami, he's going through a tough time, please be with him. Unconsciously we are making an assumption that, you know, our love for that person is possibly greater than Swami's love for that person. If we are not making that assumption and we are doing it as our duty, selflessly, that is wonderful. But many times I have noticed that I seem to make an assumption as if I am pleading on someone's behalf. Swami would never encourage that even physically and when anyone has pleaded on someone else's behalf, we have seen what a kind of thrashing they have received. Because it's a very fine line and unconsciously ego steps in because ego always does this silently. Unconsciously ego steps in which makes us feel as though our compassion is at least on par with the Lord's compassion if not greater that is a mistake that we make. So, anytime when we pray for others also, let us not pray as if we know better or we are having such compassion and the Lord doesn't seem to be showering His mercy. Let us always pray, whether we do or whether we pray, whatever it is, let us do it as instruments of the Lord, the way Hanuman has done.
3: It just reminds me of the similar thing which happened in 1990 when Swami declared that in a year's time we'll have a super specialty hospital. Hmm. You Swami made the declaration during His birthday and uh, Swami is cool about it. <laughs> and as we, you know, it's beautifully depicted in, in the documentary which we have. It is said that Swami is happily going through the year and uh, April, May comes. Swami takes a huge group of students to Kodekanal, having a ball of a time there. And there, Colonel Jogara was getting so tense. He's saying, here is the Swami He has declared that we're going to have a hospital and not just have a hospital. In the form of a structure, we are going to have the first open heart surgery performed on that very day. And the
1: date has been announced.
3: The date has been announced in front of the biggest gathering because it was (laughs) the 65th birthday, if I am not wrong.
1: Yes, in the Hillview Stadium. Hillview
3: Stadium. And here is Swami happily spending time with the students here and there, you know, not even a wall has come up in that place which is supposed to hold the super specialty hospital. And this is precisely what happens, you know, the Lord declares His mission, but it's the people around, I think, who get tensed (laughs) about what's going to happen. Because here is, you know, Sugriva is saying that let's start the campaign, Jambavan is excited, Hanuman is excited, Lakshmana is all pumped up, and Rama is cool and composed. Because I think it's almost like the one who sees the bird's eye view, you know, he knows exactly what is going to land up where, you know, you know that exactly at what point what will happen, and I think that calmness which comes with omniscience, being people who are in the moment, who are prisoners of time and space, I think we'll never, never understand that equanimity which comes with omniscience.
1: Absolutely. So that's about it, dear listeners. As we complete this week's episode, let us remember that when we are working for the Lord, when we are part of the organization that the Lord has set up, It's not as if we become escapists and not do any action and say that the Lord has everything planned, let him do everything. At the same time when we do action, let us be involved in the action but not attached to it. Let us not get disheartened that things are not coming the way we are expecting them to come. Because there as Lord Krishna puts it in the Bhagavad Gita, our focus is shifting from the actions that we are putting in to the results that we are expecting. The result Krishna says is in my hands. The same way the results are in Swami's hands. So let us not become escapist by not acting and saying anyway everything Swami has planned. At the same time, let us not bite off more than what we can chew and let us not get attached to the results of the action that we put in. Let us imbibe the ability to simply put in action, derive joy from the action and offer that action to Swami to convey the result in whatever way that pleases Him best because He knows best. I think with that message we will conclude this week's Satsang on the Ramkatharasa Vahini. So till then, dear listeners, let's keep praying, let's keep pining for the Lord. Let's keep feeling Him in our hearts. Let's keep singing His name, chanting His name. Let's hold on to Him because nothing else in the universe is worth holding on to. With that, both Prem and myself offer ourselves at Swami's lotus feet our pranams to Lord Hanuman who is such an inspiration to all of us and who is present always with us whenever the glory of Sri Rama is sung. We conclude with this song. Thank you. Jai Sairam.
0: You just heard an episode of our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind. The discussion was on the Ramkatha Raswahini, a book written by Swami and today's episode was first broadcast live on 28th January 2016. Dear listeners, we hope you like this program. As always, you can send us your feedback by either email or WhatsApp. Our email ID is listener at radiosci.org and our WhatsApp number is 9393 Thank you and loving Sairam from in Nilem.